It can be hard to invite friends to church. So around here, we're using a little slogan to help make it a little easier. Easter's just two weeks away, and we're asking you to invite your friends to sit with you. So there's a card on your seat that says, sit with me. There's a couple around you. You can take those home today, slip them in your coat pocket, in your shirt pocket, in your purse, whatever, and um, take those. And then invite a friend to come with you. And so that they know where it is and when it starts, on the back is all the information about Easter service. They can just find it there. And you're saying, not just come to church, but hey, when you come, I'll meet you at the door. You'll sit with me. We'll get rid of all the awkwardness of coming uh, Easter is a really big day, and the truth is, is eight out of ten people have indicated that if a friend that they trusted invited them to church, they would go. And so the likelihood you'll be successful is very high, but of course, if you don't ask, uh, it won't happen. And we'd love to see our place here filled for Easter. And on Easter, we begin a brand new message series, which I'll tell you about next week. You're going to love it. It's going to be exciting. And when I, when I tell you about it next week, what I want you to have in mind is, is how many of your friends and family who live within a 15, 20-minute drive circle? of this place would benefit from exploring the ideas that we're going to talk about. Well, right now we're going to begin our fifth in the message series on symbols, and it's in your message notes. They look like this. On the front of it, of course, it says, sit with me. It's all about Easter. But if you open it up, you'll see where we're beginning. So as you're getting there and getting set up, I got to tell you about some exciting things that have been going on around here. Um, it seems like God has just been blessing our ministries uh, lately, and you have been faithful to invite. And when you do invite folks, uh, we do our best to be warm and friendly to them and let them know that we love them, that our slogan, Real Love Now, is not just a slogan to us. It's what we really attempt to do. And man, it seems like it's catching in a big wave with a lot of folks. And the last uh, few weeks, we've baptized some folks. In fact, this year so far, we've already baptized more people this year in our church than all of last year combined, which is really, really incredible. Yeah, that's a good thing. That's a good thing. And people's lives are changed. And I wanted to show you a little highlight video from middle school baptisms just a couple weeks ago. Turn your eyes to the screen. That's awesome. Isn't that great? Can we give it up one more time for all that's happening around here? Man, love our leaders in middle school. Melissa and her team are just doing a great job. And while we're here having service in this space, they're having an age-appropriate, geared-for-their-life stage service right down at the end of the building. And then there are kids and preschoolers having service as well. Preschoolers kind of over here to my right, and all of our K through fourth grade happening over here to, uh, to my left. Well, let's talk a little bit today about letting God's Word in. When you came in today, underneath the big front door, there was a logo. It's uh, the 4C logo. That logo has special meaning to us. And for uh, the entire 13 years almost that our church has been a church, we've used that logo to talk just to, not about identifying our name and in some kind of maybe braggadocious or arrogant-filled way, but that logo indicates to us some values. It's a symbol, if you will. It's like um, to many of us who call this place home, it's like a symbol. Like a symbol that has the power of, say, a red light when you were driving to church this morning. You saw the red light. That red light doesn't have any meaning in and of itself, but we apply a meaning to that red light, and it means to stop. Some of you have a cross on your neck right now, and that cross, originally, it meant nothing more than a symbol of death, but because of all that's attached to that symbol, now it's an indication and a proof of life and love. It's a symbol that's very powerful. And this logo that you're looking at on the screen is a powerful symbol to those of us that call this church home because it has arrows going in and arrows going out. There's the globe there. There's the shape of the cross. You can see all of that uh, right there on the screen. That symbol for us carries incredible meaning. 
We've been exploring this and other symbols in this message series. Right now, I want to draw your attention to those in arrows. We knew that church, if it was going to be healthy, if God was going to do all that he wanted to do for us, we had to be outward focused. That's what the out arrows represent. Four corners, the four winds of the earth, north, south, east, and west. You get the idea there. And last week, we talked a lot about our work in Kerala, India, where we're supporting orphan boys and girls, about 50 in total right now, doing some incredible stuff because of your generosity. And those arrows represent us taking the gospel to the world. In fact, in that middle school video you saw just a second ago, that verse was on the screen for Matthew chapter 28, go into all the world, that's the out arrows. But the other thing that has to happen in a healthy church is not only do we have to go out and serve, we have to grow internally. You have to be growing as a follower of Jesus. You need to grow up even as our church kind of grows out. And today's message is all about one of the most powerful ways that God enables us to grow. It's all about letting God's word into our lives. You know how difficult communication can be? you've ever had a relationship, you've had a boyfriend, girlfriend, if you're married, it can be very difficult. Jill and I have been together for 28 years, and there are still moments when our communication gets a little wonky. It's a little hard to figure out. And uh, men, there are two things that you need to, to understand about women, two big, big things you need to understand about women. Now, nobody knows what they are, so good luck. Good luck figuring that out. Um, it's just, you know how difficult understanding can be in a relationship. And believe it or not, even in our spiritual relationship with God, communication and understanding is very important. And when Jesus showed up on this earth some 2,000 years ago, in effect, what he was saying before he ever opened his mouth was, this is, I am God. This is God's communication to you of his love for you. He was saying, I'm the embodiment of God's love for you expressed in this world. I'm proof that God wants to have a connection to you, that he wants to talk to you, that he wants to be close to you. And when God was here in the flesh, in the person of Jesus, there were still dramatic communication gaps that happened as he went around talking to people. Not everybody understood all that he was and all that it meant for him to be here. Now that Jesus is gone, sometimes that gap can even be more real. And it's possible for even people that are in church sometimes to miss key communications that God wants them to grasp and understand. Not just hear them, but understand them and take them to heart. And so when Jesus was walking around, he did his best job at trying to help people understand exactly what God was saying. And our passage today is one of those places where he tells a parable or a story that has meaning. Many of you have heard this before. You've heard this particular parable. He tells a story with meaning in hopes that we would understand how to understand him. How to hear, really hear from God and let the word of God come into our life. I want to ask you, if you've been walking with Jesus for a while and the content that we're going to talk today about the farmer and the sowing of seed, if that's something you've heard before, here's what I want to ask you not to do. I want you to not let the familiarity of this passage, which gets talked about a lot, make you insensitive to the very thing that it's trying to communicate. That would be missing the entire point. In fact, if this passage is familiar to you, you know that this is an invitation for you to weed out distractions, pay attention and focus to hear if God would like to speak to you about anything at all this morning. Long before you walked in this room, there were people who have been praying for you. We know, we believe, we hold it as a value that it's never an accident for you to show up in this place. So long before you come here, there are people in this room literally walking around. That happened this week, praying and asking God that you would be open and receptive to whatever God has for you. Whether it was just the friendly welcome of a warm smile, or if it was a song that the lyrics has touched your heart, uh, touched your heart as you heard it sang or as you participated, or perhaps in the message today, that you would be receptive to God's word. We believe that God's word contains life. 
You can't live the life that you were designed to live without regularly leaning in and paying attention to what God wants to say to you. So you get high marks today already just for being here, for making some space in your week to just be connected to the things that God is connected to. Now, our passage today is found in the Gospel of Luke, Luke chapter 8. You can go in your Bible. Most of the passages are here in your sermon notes. And maybe as you're getting there on your phone or in your Bible itself, I want to remind you that all around you right now in this room, there are radio waves bouncing around. I'm wearing a cordless microphone, and there are radio waves. And you would never hear them except that these radio waves are picked up by an antenna in the back of the room, and they are brought down through some electronic signal through an amplifier. And so when I speak, my voice is amplified, but only because it's dialed in. There are other radio waves that are present in the room, but you don't hear them because there isn't a radio turned on. There are television signals right now. There are some um, 22, I think, signals I can get in my office by an antenna that unless you're dialed in or you have the right equipment, you can't hear them. This parable today is all about dialing you in and dialing me in. And I need you to listen with both of your ears today. One ear, I would like you to listen this way. I'd like you to say, I wonder how this passage is supposed to speak to my life personally. How would God like to make this passage speak to my life personally today? But if you're a follower of Jesus in this room and you call this church home with your other ear, I'd like you to listen this way. I wonder if there's anybody in your life that you love, that you care about, that would benefit from the kinds of things we're talking about today. And if they are, if you have people like that in your life who would benefit from the kinds of things we're talking about, from listening to God, then maybe that's the very person you should invite to be with us for our Easter service. Did you realize this? That almost every passage in the Bible has multiple layers of application. Almost always there's something for you that you can get a principle that can be applied. But if you're a follower of Jesus, part of our purpose is not to live selfish self-absorbed life. Part of our purpose is to always be listening with the willing ear of how God would like to use you to impact another life. How God would like you to bring the message of Jesus alive for someone. So Luke chapter 8 here, here's what our passage says. Well, a large crowd was gathering and people were coming to Jesus from town after town. He told this parable. A farmer went out to sow seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path. It was trampled on, and the birds ate it up. Some fell on rocky ground, and when it came up, the plants withered because they had no moisture. Other seed fell among thorns, which grew up with it and choked the plants. Still other seed fell on good soil. It came up and yielded a crop a hundred times more than was sown. When he said this, he called out, he who has ears to hear, let them hear. His disciples asked him what this parable meant. Now, just so we're clear what's going on here, parables have meaning. And often the major points in a parable refer to something tangible in life. So in this case, the farmer represents God. God is the one getting his word out. It's God's seed. It's God's word. It's God's agenda that God wants done. And the seed then is his word. Now, to be theologically precise here, we think of when we hear the word word, we mean the Bible. And that's a good representation of the word. But when Jesus was telling this story, the Bible as we know it doesn't exist. Jesus is basically saying all the truth that comes from God. For his original audience, that was what we would call our Old Testament. But it was also the person of Jesus who is called the very word of God. So this word of God is all the truth that God wants you to know. It involves Jesus' character, what he did and said, those things that are clearly recorded in the Bible, what the apostles wrote about the implications of walking with Jesus, all that we would call our Bible. The word of God is all that God is trying to communicate to us. It refers specifically to the book we call the Bible, but even beyond that to impressions that sometimes God speaks into our life to lead us and guide us. It refers to accumulated wisdom from good practices of Christians that have gone on before us. And from that, we can deduce the heart and the nature and the character of God. The seed is all that God wants us to know about him and his world. 
And then the soil, of course, is my mind. And if you don't like that word, it's your heart. It's that soulish part of you where spiritual growth occurs. It's beyond biology, so I don't just say your brain. There is this immeasurable, subjective, your particular heart and mind into which God wants to plant the seed of his word and watch it grow. So how do we let God's word in all the way? Well, this parable and the verses we read and the verses that come after, did you notice the disciples said, Jesus, tell us what this means? Now, you, know, you got you to think for a second. Jesus, by this point, has been with his disciples for several months. And they've been listening to him talk. And he, this is not the first time he's told a parable. And he tells a story that really should be pretty easy to understand. Farmer, seed, good soil, bad soil. He's already been described as the word, right? And at the end of the story, the disciples look to Jesus and they say, Lord, would you tell us what you meant by that story? Now, this is good news for all of us, because if you've ever misunderstood or not received something God was trying to communicate to you in a timely manner, let me tell you what that makes you. That makes you just like the original apostles. That makes you just like Peter and James and John and Simon and Andrew. You're just like those people who didn't always get it. They didn't always get it. They're often messing up. They're often not getting it right away. Sometimes there's a delay even between when they finally understood it and they actually began to do the thing that the word was motivating them to do. So if that's ever been you, you're in good company. It's not too late, though, to begin to tune in more intentionally. So we're going to fill in the blanks with a handful of things that we can do to tune in, to let God's word in more. So number one, we can cultivate an open mind or an open heart. An open mind or an open heart. What I mean here is that we can be eager. We can be receptive. We can be open to the possibility that God still speaks to people today. That he speaks through primarily through his word. But God can use anything to speak to us, anything at all. And if we're open, if we're receptive, if we'll dial in, we'll be able to hear what he's saying to us. And when we receive that word, it will produce in our life good fruit, good things that we would want for ourselves. So the first thing we have to do is to cultivate an open heart or an open mind. Let me ask you, do you deep down believe that God's still trying to talk to people today? Do you really believe that he has impressions that he'd like to put in front of you? He'd like you to see things, and when you see them, you know that they're not accidental, but it's actually him trying to communicate to you. Maybe you haven't thought about it in a long time. I still believe that God talks to people. All through the pages of the Bible, this phrase shows up, and the Lord said, and God said, and the Lord spoke. All through the pages of the Bible, if we don't know anything else about God, we know he's trying to get our attention. He's trying to talk to us. That's in the Bible. But even now, by God's spirit, he's often speaking to you. And if you'll listen, you'll hear him talk to you about your everyday life. Big things and things you might think are small. He'll put impressions on you that at first blush might look like they're coming into your life and into your consciousness from out of the blue. But at the root, it's actually God leaning into your life. He'll talk to you about your marriage. In fact, he'll use your marriage to talk to you about you and life if you're married, I think, more than anything else. He'll talk to you through your children You'll hear God's voice sometimes through your, sometimes it'll be the simple out of the mouth of babes, you know, and you're like, wow, there's, that's more profound than we realized. But other times you'll watch them and you'll think, that's the dumbest thing I've ever seen. Clearly God's not around this and he'll speak to you through some perspective. He'll speak to you through your circumstances. He'll speak to you by his spirit. He'll give you words and impressions and ideas. And they're meant for you to dial in to them. God still speaks. He calls people. He motivates them. He corrects them. He convicts them. He encourages them. 
But do you believe God still speaks and does he want to speak to you? I'm convinced he does. And I'm convinced that you can be open-hearted and you can be open-minded to hear what he wants to say to you. In Luke chapter 8, verse 12, we hear Jesus explaining this parable that he told in the earlier verses. Here's what he says. Those along the path are those who hear. But then, or and then, the devil comes along and takes away the word from their hearts so they cannot believe and be saved. There's something powerful in your life that occurs when you listen to God. And there's something negative at stake when we're not sensitive to listen to him. Some of you have been impressed to give a kind word to somebody you saw having a bad day. And that wasn't just you. Some of you have been pressed to give a gift to somebody that needed some help. And it wasn't just you. Some of you were motivated to step up and serve where nobody else was serving. And it wasn't just you. But in all those cases, you had the opportunity to not listen. To not follow through with what God was putting in front of you. To turn your eyes away, to close your ear. That's why Jesus often used the phrase, If you have ears, go ahead and listen. He wasn't implying that there are people who don't have ears. He was saying clearly, God wants you to hear. But there is this, in this parable, language about a hardened path. Now, when we think of a farmer and a sower, we think of neat little rows, and then we plant some seed in a straight line and cover it over and in dirt. But that's not the way it was in Jesus' day. That level of, of horticulture and agriculture wasn't complete yet. What they did is there would be these pathways in the middle of a field that were solid and set and that's where the farmer would walk pretty hard and then to either side the field would be tilled and the farmer would walk around and reach into his pouch or her pouch and throw the seed right just broadcast style and in that kind of broadcasting sowing horticultural environment Various things would happen to the seed, and some of the seed would fall on the path, that hardened path where the farmer would walk that hadn't been tilled. A couple things about that path. It was hard soil. It was narrow soil. It was kind of a narrow path because you wanted as much available to be, uh, to be available to receive the seed. But when some seed fell on that hardened path, it didn't fall in optimum soil, and it didn't often produce what the farmer hoped to produce. So the hardened path then is a closed mind or a closed heart. Now I've discovered that there's at least three things, probably more, that lead to a closed mind or a closed heart. And these things exist even in people who follow Jesus, who are trusting Jesus for their eternal destiny. There are people all around you and they don't realize that their heart, their mind is closed to the word of life that God would speak to them. Maybe that's your children. Maybe you have children in your, you know, in your family who aren't fully open to what God would like to do in their life. They're not open to his word. Maybe it's a neighbor you care about. Maybe it's a spouse. Maybe it's you. What produces a hardened path? A place where if the seed falls, it doesn't do well. Number one, I found that pride will do that. Pride is an attitude that is both subjective and, and, and somewhat intentional. It can be either. It can be unintentional or intentional. It can be, I don't need God. I'm fine on my own, whether it's a conscious decision. Or it can be an unconscious, just kind of an operating as if we don't need God. Kind of a practical pride versus an objective chosen pride. Acting as if we don't need God. I don't need God to raise my children. I kind of got this on my own. I, I can handle this date on my own. I can manage this conflict on my own. I don't really need God. And it's not so much that sometimes people say these things out loud or even to themselves, but they practically operate as if they don't need God in their lives. Maybe you've been through a season of your life where you were practically operating as if God didn't need to be a part of whatever you were facing. And at the root of that often is an ego we're a little too big, and God's a little too small. And when that happens, it hardens the path. And when God wants to speak, that seed can't grow. Another thing that we've been talking about around here quite a bit, and it's at work in our culture, in our world, number two is fear. 
Sometimes people aren't open to what God wants to say and is speaking to them because they're afraid. They're afraid that if they listen and receive from God, he's going to ask them to do something hard or something unpopular. Or people are going to call them a fanatic. He's going to rob their freedom and take their fun. And they don't realize, they don't believe that when God speaks life into you, when he gives you a word, it always produces good for you. And that even the hard things God calls you to do ultimately bring you great joy. But we're afraid. And that keeps us from doing things. Some of us, like in just a few weeks ago, God spoke to you. And what, like, I'm not even talking like years ago, just a few weeks ago. And you knew he leaned on you. You knew he gave you an impression. And you still haven't done anything with it. Now, that, again, that makes you like an apostle. It's not the worst thing in the world, but it does make you disobedient. I wonder what's at the root of your disobedience. Is it possible it's pride? Or are you afraid? Do you not fully trust God's character? That if he would call you to something, he'll take care of you if you follow it. If he calls you to forgive, you'll be okay if you forgive. If he calls you to give, you'll be okay if you give. If he calls you to serve, you'll be okay if you serve. At the root of fear is often a lack of trust in God's character. So is it pride, perhaps, or fear? Or here's a third one, perhaps bitterness. Hurt can be great and powerfully impacting in our life. It can keep us from listening to God. And the greater the hurt, the more power it seems to have in our lives. Some of us in the room, in a, in a room this size, you've been abused. You were hurt as a child. You were taken advantage of. Somebody in church did something they should have never done. And that hurt has taken root in your life and planted a seed of bitterness. And because that's there, that hardened place, that's the very place where God's word can't land in soft, receptive soil and do its work. It's a dangerous ploy of the enemy. He loves to fill your heart with hurt and bitterness so that it can't be filled with the very word of God. So what's your reason? What's your reason for why it is there's a delay sometimes between when you know God is speaking and you actually step out? I don't know the whole list, but these three keep coming to the surface. Before I move on, let me just say something. If you've been hurt, I'm really sorry that you've been hurt. I don't necessarily can't take responsibility for it. And if it's me, you can tell me. I'll do my best to make things right with you. But I know how painful hurt can be. And sometimes the enemy of your soul will say to you, well, if God really loved you, if he really cared about you, that hurt wouldn't have happened to you that way. And where was God when that hurt thing happened to me? I remember sitting in a funeral once. And in the in the, you know, in the, the, the life that we were celebrating and the loss of the life we were mourning was a young man. And that young man's father was speaking and got up and said, I've asked myself, where was God when my son died? And I thought, well, this is going to be interesting. Things got honest real quick. And he said, I've cried about that and prayed about that the last couple days. And I, it hit me. That God was in the exact same place I was in when his son died. And he said, it hasn't taken away my hurt, but it gave me perspective that when I hurt, God knows what it feels like to hurt. That man was working through his pain in a way that wasn't likely going to produce bitterness. Because he saw in God a character that could be trusted even in the middle of his pain. I'm really sorry that you've been hurt, but I want to encourage you, don't run away from God in your hurt. Run to him. And that hurt will still be real. It will still hurt. But what won't happen is your heart won't become hardened and bitter so that when God wants to speak life into you, you'll be receptive to that. This is what James was trying to get to in James chapter 1, verse 21 at the bottom of the page. When he said, get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent. And, but here's our point for today. And humbly accept the word planted in you, which can save you. Don't cling to sin 
in this case. And don't cling to pride, fear, or bitterness, but cling to the word of God because in the word of God, there is life. This is why I think it's important for us to cultivate an open heart and an open mind. I was meeting with some of our small group leaders from the church the other day. And I was just recounting to them a truism for me. I've never walked into a church service that I didn't have a little bit of a critical spirit. I hate to admit that. But I've served on church staff or in church leadership for 30 years now. I started when I was two. Yeah. So I've been doing it for 30 years. And I walk in, and you know, for years as an associate pastor, my job was to make sure everything was right in the church. So when I walk into a church building, you know what I see? Burnt out lights. Stains on the carpet, bathrooms that aren't spotless. That's what I see. That's my first. And you don't, you don't have to see that. Now that I say it, you'll see it all the time. But that's, that's what I see. And then if I'm sitting in a service, I notice lyrics that are out of sync, musicians that don't pay attention, people that don't smile. That's just that's where I go. And then when the man talks or the lady talks, you know what I hear? Everything wrong. That's where I naturally go because I'm a fixer. That's kind of the way I'm wired, and it's often the role I've played. And, but I said to those small group leaders the other day, when I decide I'm going to go to church and receive, I've never been disappointed. I've been in some cruddy church services where everything was wrong, you know? And the piano player played like she had mittens on. I mean, it was just banging it out, man, just banging it out. And the minister wasn't prepared, but he's kind of talking about the word of God. And when I walk into a place like that, but my heart is ready to receive, do you know what happens? Do you know what happens? Every time without exception, I receive something. I can always walk away with something good. But when I walk in in that other place that comes natural to me, you know what happens? I come in with a closed heart, with with an unwilling, unopened heart, and I have a very difficult, it's almost as if you got to like pry through the doorway and jump over the hurdles and under the, you know, the barriers for God to get to me. And so I have found it's much less about the environment I'm in and much more about me in the environment. And I would encourage you to bring an open heart and an open mind when you come to church and you engage important conversations. Number two, allocate time to listen. You have to allocate time to listen. In Luke chapter 13, as Jesus was describing this parable, he said that those seed that fell on the rock are the ones who received the word with joy when they heard it, but they have no root. They believed for a while, but in the time of testing, they fell away. So that the shallow soil is really a superficial mind. It doesn't go very deep. Surface level engagement. You know what this is like, parents. You're talking to your kids, and you use good English. There aren't a whole lot of distraction. They might even be making eye contact, but you know it ain't landing. You can tell. You've done this with your spouse. And they're like, uh-huh. And you know. You know. They're not listening. I mean, they're there, but it isn't penetrating. You've done this with your boss. Your boss has probably done it with you, right? But when you allocate time to listen to God, incredible things can happen. Incredible things can happen. I think in our world today, we're so busy all the time. But it's not a new phenomenon. 150 years ago, Alexis de Tocqueville, the French writer who came to America and studied it, said that Americans are always in a hurry. That was a long time ago, and we we're always in a hurry. Got to get, got to go. It's very difficult to just slow down and listen. But that's exactly what's required from time to time for you and I to receive all the word that God has for us. You know people who live in your neighborhood, you go to school with them, you work with them, and they haven't slowed down at all to even consider if God might be part of the equation of the kind of life they'd like to live. They haven't even thought about it. They're just busy, busy, going, going. Even people who have had seasons of spiritual vitality in their life get busy. Busyness is one of the quickest ways for the enemy of your soul to make you engage God's word in a shallow and superficial way. 
United States Air Force did a study a few years ago, and they discovered that we only remember 5 to 10% of what we hear. Other studies have different numbers, but they're all hovering about the same point. That is, we forget 90 to 95% of what we hear, which means I leave depressed every Monday morning is what that means. Every Monday morning. That's why I started giving you notes so we can at least pretend like you care beyond just the moment. Right? There are things you can do, though, to up the ante of what you remember and what actually sinks in. You can, for instance, take notes. You can write things down. You can write down yourself a note, for instance. Let's just put the spiritual stuff on hold for a second. You can write down notes about making sure you spend time with your spouse, making sure there's a date night from time to time, or that you have time to talk in an unhurried way about finances. But you often have to write that stuff down on a calendar and carve out some time for it. And we carve out time for all kinds of things. And we carve out time for sports. We carve out time for work. We carve out time to even go to things like the dentist. So it's not always things we want to do, but we find time to do it. And that's exactly what has to happen if you and I are going to really receive God's word. You got to carve out some time. And again, high marks to everybody in the room. You killed it today. But did you understand that God would like to speak to you even on a Monday and a Tuesday? And I'm not talking hours of time. Sometimes that's appropriate, but five minutes, ten minutes here or there, where you quiet everything else and you zero in and you say, this is my time to invest spiritually in me. When you engage people that you work with, your students you go to school with and your spouse at home, when you've invested in yourself that way, you come prepared to engage them so much better. And what you have to remember sometimes is they're not even thinking about that stuff. So sometimes you can literally be a source of opening up God's words to them by just simply being ready yourself and encouraging them to help carve out some time. A few weeks ago, Jill said to me, go to India. And we got it here. You know, we got it taken care of. You know, I know it wasn't easy on her, and, but she knew that it was important for me to have unhurried time to engage things that are important to me. So where do you make some unhurried time? Number three, eliminate the distractions. Eliminate the distractions. In Luke chapter 8, verse 14, Jesus continuing to explain the parable, he says, the seed that fell among thorns stands for those who hear, but as they go on their way, they're choked by life's worries, riches, and pleasures, and those seed, that seed doesn't mature. Now, a lot of you are too young to remember this, but back in the day on Mother's Day, everybody called their mother, and you would pick up your phone with a little corally, you know, a spiral cord on it, and sometimes with a rotary dial, and you would call, and all the circuits would be busy on Mother's Day. All the circuits, it happened to me more than once. Like, you can't even get a signal. All the circuits are busy. Today, you know, it just goes to voicemail. I know, I know that works, but... Back in the day, we'd get a busy signal. This is what I'm talking about when I talk about distractions. The signal's there, but it's grounded out by all the other signals coming into our life. Jesus said these distractions were weeds. So the soil with weeds is a preoccupied mind or a distracted mind. And he said there are three things that can, that can preoccupy us. And serve as weeds to choke out the good thing that God wants to do. And when you engage people this week and next week before Easter, I'm telling you, these weeds are all in their life. And they don't even know that God is available to speak into their life and bring life. Number one, worries. Jesus said they're choked by life's worries. Here's what I've found about me. It's hard for me to pray and worry at the same time. It's just hard. It's just hard for me. In fact, the word worry in your Bible comes from a Greek word that indicates double-minded. In one place in the Bible, it actually says the double-minded person is unstable in all of his ways and all of her ways. Pulled in two, literally pulled in two. The worries have a way of doing that. But I have found that prayer in the moment. Now, sometimes even I get done praying, I pick it back up. In the moment. Literally, my worries begin to dissipate as I talk to God about them. So Jesus told us, don't worry. 
He said, don't worry. Your father knows you have needs, so just talk to him about them. Jesus mentioned here that riches can literally choke out the word of God. Some of us are so busy making a living, we're not living. And I know it's hard, and the rat race is tough, but we're encouraged in this passage to have moments in our life where money and riches and making a living aren't speaking louder. What's speaking loudest is God's design for us. I've known people that have missed God's will for their life over a few extra dollars an hour. And they think that in the moment, they're somehow doing the right thing. But in reality, they're robbing themselves from the very thing that will bring them great joy. I'm not talking about whether or not it's right to make a living. If you've been in this church for any length of time at all, you know I believe one of the highest goals a man or woman can pursue in this life is to earn enough money to take care of themselves and their family. So that's good. But you also know what I'm talking about here when I say we go for more and more and more. And sometimes in doing that, we literally choke out the will and the work of God in our lives. So worries and riches and number three, pleasures. Did you know that fun was God's idea, that he made your body tactile so that you could experience pleasure physically? He made your mind receptive. It drops chemicals in so that there are moments when you feel euphoria and fun. That was all God's idea. But the enemy has been very successful to convince us that some pleasures are greater than God's work in our life. That's why otherwise smart men and women spend a few minutes with their clothes off with somebody they're not married to. And they know, they've heard the stories of all the pain it's brought other people. But in that moment, that pleasure feels so good that they're willing to trade all that God has spoken and all that they know for those few seconds. And they prove Jesus' words here, that pleasure will literally ruin your ability to hear and receive and follow God's word if you're not careful. Three types of of weeds. So that's why, number four, we're encouraged to cooperate then with what God says, cooperate with what he says. Don't have a closed heart or mind. Make time to listen, eliminate distraction, and cooperate with what he says. Luke 8, 15. The seed on good soil stands for those with a noble and good heart who hear the word, retain it, and persevere by producing a crop. I circled the word retain. Retain it. They didn't just hear it. It stuck with them. Now, we often around here talk about how to make our message sticky. We think about slogans. We take some time to put some creatively, um, you know, arranged graphics and visuals in front of you. We want to be sticky. But we know at the end of the day, if you don't want to hear us, you won't hear us. If you come with a chip on your shoulder or you come, you know, broken or you're being choked by one of these things that Jesus talked about, all the sticky things we try to do don't stick. But did you realize you can come receptive? You can come ready to listen. An example of that, again, would be to write it down. On occasion, write down what God would speak to you. I have a a notebook I carry around with me very often, and I just use them up, no organized fashion. I just jot down the notes that are important to me and what needs to be in it, and then I'll sit in my office at some point in the week and put those bits of data in the right place. And so often if you ask me to do something, if I don't write it down, it's not likely going to get done. You know how that works. So you'll say to me, Ben, write that down or I'll follow up with an email because you know how important it is to capture those to-dos. A few weeks ago, I was going through one of my notebooks and I had been sitting in a conference with other pastors. And as the guy was presenting, I knew I heard the Lord impress something on me. It wouldn't be meaningful to you. It's very meaningful to me. And four weeks have passed. I did nothing. I hadn't even written it down. But I opened it up and there it was again. And those hunches, those motivations, those stirrings came back alive in that moment. Because it was retained. That's why James says in James 1.22, Do not merely listen to the word and deceive yourselves. Do what it says. So what are you going to do with what you're hearing? Even today while I'm talking, I'm wondering if God didn't stir something up in you give you an impression, remind you of something he had been speaking to you? If so, here's the simple question for you. What are you going to do with it? Now, here's what we tend to do in America. We tend to learn 
something, we think we learned something, then we think about it, and then we decide maybe I'll do it. There's an awful lot of processing going on in that. I've learned there's a better way, a way I'm trying to teach my kids, a way I try to live myself, and that is, all right, if it's good, go ahead and start doing it. Just start with do often. Now, I don't mean the big stuff. Some things need planned, of course. There's a time to say no. But very often when it's clear and objective, I'm still processing when it was long past the time to get going. So I, I've learned to start thinking about going ahead and doing it and then thinking about it while I'm doing it and then learning from that either success or failure and then doing better. And it keeps me from getting stuck in a, in a, in a do loop. You know, I'm just in routine and nothing can break through. Or it keeps me from being stuck in like the... Uh, you know, the mire of just inactivity. When I keep saying I'm going to do something, but I don't. There's power sometimes in just taking what you know to do and just getting started. That would be cooperating with what God has to say to you. But there's a fifth thing I want us to talk about for just a moment. It's a verse that doesn't often get associated with this parable. But the very next verse after the parable in eight, Luke 8 verse 16, here's what he says. No one lights a lamp and hides it in a clay jar or puts it under a bed. Instead, they put it on a stand so that those who come in can see the light. This passage was meant not just for you, but it was meant so that as you see the light, your light would shine for other people to see. All this parable about hearing wasn't just for you. It was for everybody else that God's going to use to light on fire because your life is on fire. Everybody else is not going to bump in the dark because your light is shining brightly. So the implication here is, is that if God has done something, then radiate that out to others. Radiate that out to others. Let them see you following. Encourage them to follow. As you listen, show others how to listen and make room for God to speak. That's why we want you to invite your friends to come sit with you on Easter. The easiest day of the year to invite because everybody knows you go straight to hell if you don't go to church on Easter. Everybody knows it already. And so you're just helping them do what they already want to do. <laughs> they already want to kind of come to church, but they're afraid. They haven't been in a while. The last time they went, they got their feelings hurt or they were disappointed. And if I were to walk in that building, what's it going to be like? And so you're going to get rid of all that fear with them and just say, hey, We'll meet you. Come sit with me. Maybe I'll pick you up or I'll meet you in the lobby. And even if not, when you walk in the room, I'll be looking for you. And there, you know, and just invite them to come sit with you. And I promise you this, whether we're on our game that day or not, and we'll do our best to be, God will be trying to speak to them. It's what he does. And your investment will not be wasted. Why don't you grab out your connect cards and let's take a step or two together as a congregation today. I've been talking about God wanting to communicate, and I want to make sure that you understand the biggest message he'd like for the world to know is that he came into the world so that people could have a relationship with their heavenly father. So every week, next step A for us says that today I'm making Jesus my savior and Lord. We would like for you to think about this, that God has said this about you in the pages of the Bible, that you're a sinner, just like everybody else, and that you need a savior. You can't save yourself. No amount of good works will do it. No amount of clean living does it. But you can receive the work that Jesus did on the cross and in his resurrection to pave the way for you to have a relationship with your heavenly father. You can trust Jesus and the work that he did. The Bible says that when you do that, you admit that you need a savior, that is you're a sinner, and he comes and forgives your sins. And then he invites you to let him lead your life the biblical word for that is Lord. So if you'd like to do that, I'd ask you to take your pen and check next step A. I want to commit my life to Jesus. And we'll pray in a minute, and you can use your own words, or you can use mine and ask God to wash away your sins, to lead your life. Or next step B, perhaps you need to be baptized. Maybe you felt that nudging. You just haven't done it yet. So that seed's been falling in a place that wasn't receptive. Why don't you just check the box and let a member of our team have a conversation with you about that. See if it's right for you. And go ahead and take a step in the right direction. The next step C says, I'm going to pray this prayer each morning before I read the Bible. Now that implies you're going to read the Bible. All right, but even if not, here's what I'm asking you to pray. God, give me ears to hear what you're saying to me through your word. Three minutes a day. Just three minutes every day this week. It might be the 
First time in your life you've ever said it. You open up the Bible and say, God, just I want to hear what you're saying to me through your word today. And I'm telling you, you do that long enough, you start tuning in. And you actually start hearing things from him. And he becomes much more an active part of your life. The next step, D, is the one I've been encouraging you to do. It says, I'll invite a friend to sit with me at 4C's Easter service. Same times as always, 9, 15, and 11. If you don't like crowds, come to the 9, 15 service. 11 will be full. You can come to either, but push yourself maybe like you are to be here at the early service. And um, you'll have a little bit more room to perhaps get around. All right, but invite somebody to come sit with you. Now, next step, B says, hey, Ben, would you shoot me the links for the 4C men's retreat? So this is for the women in the room who have a man that might want to come or the men in the room you want to go, we'll shoot you the links. Let's pray about these things right now. Father, I want to thank you that you're the God who's trying to talk to us. And I want to admit, Lord, that sometimes I just am not in a place to hear you. It's not you, it's me. But today, Lord, I want to double down on being receptive to your words. Father, I pray for myself and for my brothers and sisters in this room that as you speak, we'll follow. Lord, when you talk to us, we'll listen. We'll make time. We'll deal with the distractions in our life. That, Lord, when you speak through your word, through song, through our circumstances, through a trusted friend, we'll be open to hear you, Lord. Father, I pray for those in the room right now that are declaring, Jesus, wash away my sins. I want to be a follower. I want you to be in charge of my life. I commit all that I am and all that I'll be to you. And Lord, as we gather as a church family here in just a moment to take communion together, I pray, Lord, that as we dip the bread into the wine or into the grape juice, we'd be reminded of all that you've done for us. That even this act of communion together would make us even more receptive to your word. That we would receive willingly all that you would say to us. And I pray this in the name of Jesus, God's strong and holy son. Amen and amen.